Let's open our Bibles again to Colossians, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, as we continue our study there. And uh, while you're turning there, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, while you're turning there, let me remind you of something the Lord Jesus taught us that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I uh, was in this chapter as part of my scheduled reading this week. And just reminded about the parable of the four soils, which are pictures of four kinds of heart that the seed of God's word falls upon. Jesus interprets the parable for his disciples this way. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So the Lord Jesus teaches us, that when the seed of the gospel falls upon the soil of a person's heart, there are four basic kinds of soil, and only one of them, in the end, produces fruit. This is the soil that has been prepared by the Holy Spirit. This is the soil that is soft and ready to hear the word of Christ. This is the soil that recognizes its sinfulness before God and its desperate need for redemption by the Lord. And that seed then takes root in that soil. And as the roots go deep and start to spread and take in the nutrients that God has provided in his word and through his people, In time, that seed bears fruit. The size of fruitfulness, or the measure of fruitfulness, varies, as Jesus says, but there will be fruit. And that's a consistent message throughout the scriptures, that is, that when the gospel takes hold in a person's life, when the Holy Spirit breathes new life into a spiritual corpse and we are born again by the very word of God, God begins a brand new work in us that grows and in time bears fruit. Different measures of fruit but there will be fruit. And that's what we see uh, happening here in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. What we see is the change that the Lord brings about in our lives as believers, which then results in us becoming 
very different people than we were before we came to know Jesus. And so in Colossians 1, if you just pick it up with me in verse 15, we'll grab the context again. We've been hearing about the preeminence of Christ as creator and as redeemer. And then we've been learning about the ministry of reconciliation accomplished by Christ and then is fleshed out in the way that God changes us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, pick it up with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Talking about Christ. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. For by him <clears throat> all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What we see in verses 21 through 23 are some of the fruits of the work of God in our lives through the gospel, the fruitfulness for which Paul had earlier prayed. So our big idea this morning is this. Reconciliation with God produces fruits of godly character. You'll notice back in verse 9, remember how the Apostle Paul prayed for the Colossians. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Here it is, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the Apostle Paul prays for these believers that they would become so rooted and built up in Christ that there is not one aspect of their life that is not being transformed by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, through the work of the gospel, through the word of God. That they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That they would know the will of God and therefore they will want to do the will of God. That they would grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not simply knowledge for knowledge's sake, but wisdom. Knowledge is a lot easier to gain than wisdom. Knowledge you can gain through school. Wisdom you gain through life. Wisdom you gain through walking with God the mountaintop experiences and the very deep valleys. 
As we continue to persevere and walk with God, he develops wisdom and understanding in us. So that, notice verse 10, we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit. This is the will of God for us, that we would bear fruit, as Jesus says in John 15. It is the will of the Father that we bear much fruit, and so prove to be his disciples. Now, in today's passage, there are three fruits of reconciliation with God that I want to draw your attention to. First, reconciliation with God will be evidenced by the fruit of diminished hostility in your attitudes and actions. Notice verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Who once were, in other words, this is what we were before we became a Christian. This is what we were before God graciously saved us. He, he graciously intruded into our lives through the gospel and caused us to be born again to a living faith, to a living hope. We once were alienated. We were estranged. Every one of us born, is born into this world as a son of Adam, a daughter of Eve, and we, are in, we have inherited from our parents a sin nature. That sin nature results in estrangement. We are spiritually estranged from God. We are at enmity with him as the scripture says. We are the ones who need to be reconciled to God, not the other way around. God hasn't done anything wrong. He does not need to be reconciled to us. We must be reconciled to him. We are the lawbreakers who need a savior. Look back at verse 13 that we learned earlier. Notice again this dramatic shift in what has happened inside of us in our position before God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were once a part of the kingdom of the devil. We were part of the kingdom of darkness. We used to be dead and subject to the tyranny of the evil one. But God, through the gospel, has delivered us and he has transferred us into a new kind of kingdom, the kingdom of the son of his love, is how Paul describes it there. Rescued from a kingdom of hatred and tyranny governed by the devil and now placed into a kingdom of the son of his love. Look at chapter Two, verse 13. We're going to stay in Colossians this morning. I just want you to see a fuller picture of what's going on as we just think about these three verses in particular. In chapter 2, notice we sang about this earlier and how our sins and failures and uh, all of the things that we have done as lawbreakers that has been nailed to the cross and the Lord Jesus has endured the penalty that we deserved. 
But you notice in chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, that Paul is saying, again, what we used to be is we used to be dead and under the condemnation of the law. And you, verse 13, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do this? How did God make us alive together with Christ? How is it possible that God could forgive us? It's possible because he canceled the record of debt that stood against us, verse 14. He canceled it with its legal, along with its legal demands. Now, how could God, a righteous and holy God who created the law and upholds the law, a God of justice, how could he cancel the record of our debts against him? How could he cancel the condemning demands of the law against us? There's only one way. Is by fulfilling them himself. Is by providing his son, who is the perfect God-man, to fulfill all of those demands, all of those legal demands. That's the only reason. It's not because God decided that we were just irresistible and he just got soft and decided, I just can't, I I can't imagine eternity uh, without these people in my life. And I'm I'm just going to forget about what they've done. It's not the way God works. God is unchangeable and unchanging. He's righteous and holy and just. And so what he did instead is he himself took upon himself in the Son of God, the fullness of God made in human form. And he met those legal demands. Notice what he did to these legal demands and all of our sins, verse 14. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So you can just imagine there's this list of all of the laws that you and I have broken, all of God's laws that we have broken, both in, in deed and in attitude and in mind and heart and desire and, and word and you name it. And all of those are written down and they are then nailed to the cross through the hands and feet of the sinless Son of God. He nailed them to the cross. And when he did that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God put the devil and all of his minions to shame. And so now, when the accuser of the brethren, as Satan is called, when he accuses us, which he often does, and which we usually give him more than enough reason to accuse us, but when he accuses us in our mind and in our conscience, causing us to refuse to believe that we have done some things that God could never forgive and so we're just going to have to pay for it the rest of our lives, we have to go back to scripture like this and say we have been completely released from the demands of the law and we stand upon truth 
The only way you can combat the lies of the enemy is with the truth of the word of God. This is the new reality. We are no longer in a relationship of hostility toward God. That's part of our past, he says in verse 21. You once were alienated. You once were estranged from God and hostile in your mind, hostile in your heart, hostile in your attitudes, and hostile in your actions, doing evil deeds. But that is not who you are anymore, the apostle is saying. And so this new reality bears fruit. It bears the fruit of friendship with God, not hostility, not estrangement from God, not hostile attitudes toward God and toward his people, but peaceful attitudes toward God and his people. Have you ever met a professing Christian who's just always angry about everything? There's always this hostility of spirit in them. And you just want to say, do you know what it means to be at peace with God? Because if you knew what it meant to be at peace with God, there ought to be some overflow of peace in your spirit and in your heart. But why are you always angry at everybody? It shouldn't be that way for those of us who claim to know Christ. If we have been reconciled to God through the blood of his son, we are no longer alienated from God and there's no reason for us to be hostile toward God or toward his people. There's a new kind of trust in the Lord that is a fruit of knowing him. Well, there's a second fruit I want you to notice in verse 22. There's also the development in your holiness of life and purpose. Another fruit of being reconciled to God and knowing God through faith in Christ, that is, being a new creature in Christ, is there will be progress in holiness in your life. We call this progressive sanctification, just a fancy term for growing up in the Lord, growing in Christ becoming mature in Christ. And a part of that is growth in holiness. Notice verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So you, you used to be estranged. You used to be alienated from God. You used to be hostile in your heart toward God. But now God has reconciled you through Christ, through his work on the cross Why did he do this? This purpose is really important. He did this in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God began a new work in us the moment we were converted to Christ. The moment he began this new work in us, he began to change us from the inside out changing our desires, the things we used to love we no longer love, the things we used to hate we now love, 
There is this, this reversal of desires that's happening inside of us by virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit because this is his purpose. This is his purpose in saving us to present us holy and blameless above reproach before him. I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again, because Jesus does in John 17, as he's praying to the Father, he thanks the Father for all who will come to know him. And he refers to us as being a gift from the Father to the Son. That's really a mind-boggling concept. And so God saves us, he's reworking us, he's remaking us, why? Because he wants to present us holy and blameless as a holy and blameless bride to Christ, the bridegroom. And that's the language of scripture. If you, if you uh, turn back to Ephesians, just a, uh, two books to your left in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that this is part of the work of Christ. The context is admonitions concerning uh, wives and husbands and their roles in marriage, but he ties it all together with Christ, which is really what the passage is primarily about. And uh, he tells us that at the end of the chapter. But notice that the love that a husband is to have for his wife is to be a sanctifying love. And the reason for that is because Christ's love for us is a sanctifying love. Christ loves us and wants to sanctify us, make us holy. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's that sacrificial love. But look at verse 26, the sanctifying kind of love, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is his goal. God's goal for us as believers is that we will become like Christ. That we will be growing in holiness. And the older I get, the longer I know the Lord, the more I look into the word of God and the mirror of the word of God shows me how much more progress needs to be made in my heart, in my life, that I might be like Christ. That is what the Lord is up to in the hearts of all those who know him. That is his purpose in saving you. Romans 8.29 tells us that. That God began this whole work of redemption in us in order to conform us to the image of Christ. And then there's a third fruit we see in this passage in verse 23. A third fruit of reconciliation with God is this. Determination of your hope and faith in Christ. Notice the perseverance, the continuance of faith that's described in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting 
from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul says, another fruit of being reconciled to God is that God will continue this work that he began in us and we will persevere in faith until the end. You say, well, what about my friends and family members who used to believe in Christ, but they don't anymore? Scripture would say they never, they never actually believed in him in the first place, in a saving way. They may have made a decision for Christ. They may have raised their hand and said, yeah, I want to be a Christian. But the inward work of the Spirit of God in transforming them was absent. And time eventually proved that. Which is what we learned in 1 John chapter 2 earlier this year, that There were those that were among us and they're no longer among us because they were never of us. They were never actually of us in the first place. It's a tough thing for us to accept sometimes, but it is what Scripture teaches. Because those who've been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, Paul says, will continue in the faith Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. In other words, we are locked in on the gospel. Rooted and built up in Christ. And that, as I've said before, that is a passion of my heart for you. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. So how are we walking in him? By faith. And we are being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Sometimes you may wonder, why does Paul preach the way that he preaches? Why does he preach through books of the Bible and and helping us to understand the big message of God? Why doesn't he just preach on what's in the news every week? Why doesn't he just watch the news all week and then just pick a verse out of the Bible and preach on that every Sunday morning? Or why doesn't he do like some of you have come from churches and you've told me this, that every single Sunday was essentially the same sermon and it was always about the end times. And you got to the point where you said, you know what, I need some meat to chew on. I've got to be learning God's word, the whole counsel of God's word. I need to be built up in Christ. I need to be built upon a foundation of scripture. And the beautiful thing about preaching through books of the Bible is all those things will come up in their natural timing, in their natural way. And yet you'll be able to see how they connect to Scripture. You'll be able to see that for yourself. Because one of my goals in my preaching is to help you learn how to read and study and interpret the Bible for yourself. 
I want you to be rooted and built up in Christ, established in your faith. Not shifting, verse 23, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, which is one of the problems that Paul was addressing in uh, this book, if you remember that. In chapter 2, we'll get there eventually. Um, But Paul is dealing with external regulations that people were imposing upon these believers. They were passing judgment on each other. It says in verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What's Paul's point? Is when we get distracted by all the things that are going on around us, and when we are tempted to be put under someone else's thumb in regard to issues of Christian liberty, questions of food and drink and festivals and Sabbath days and and the worship of angels and asceticism and all the stuff that he deals with in this passage of scripture, we are departing from Christ. Christ is being diminished. And that will eventually lead to the softening of people's faith in Christ. I want you to be rooted and built up in Christ. Let me take you to one more passage of scripture. I know I said we were going to stay in Colossians, but I can't resist because of the tie-in with verse 23 in Romans 8. And uh, those of you parents who are dedicating your babies this morning, uh, now would be the time to slip out and gather those precious little ones. Romans chapter 8. I want you to just refresh your mind. I know I preached on this many years ago, but the, I want to refresh your mind with the uh, unbreakable chain of redemption that the apostle gives to us here in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is a glorious chapter that speaks of who we are in Christ and the future glory that's awaiting us and mentions the verse that uh, Ed referred to earlier that the Spirit of God prays for us when we don't know how to pray. He searches the hearts, verse 27 knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We looked at that term firstborn a couple weeks ago. It's an exalted 
term in regard to the position of Jesus Christ as preeminent one. But notice, verse 28 says that we who love God, we are called according to his purpose, and he's working all things in our life toward that purpose. Well, what is the purpose? The purpose is 29. It's explained in verse 29 that we would be conformed to the image of his son. We are reconciled by God through faith in Christ that he might rework us, reshape us, remake us into the image of Christ. And that is what he is doing. And that's his purpose. And that's extremely comforting for us to know. Romans 8.28 is a classic truth of comfort for us when we're going through things that we simply cannot possibly understand. And to rest in the fact that God is working all things together for our good. And the good that he's working them toward is the remaking us into the image of Christ. But now look at this unbreakable chain of redemption, which ties in with verse 23 in Colossians 1. And those whom he predestined, he also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Please notice that when God saves a sinner, that sinner becomes a saint who is being transformed by God and will be kept, will be kept by God forever. It does not say... And some of those whom he predestined, he also called. And some of those whom he called, he also justified. And only a few of those that he justified actually end up being glorified. It's not what it says. Those whom God has predestined, he's called. Those whom he's called, he is justified, declared righteous in Christ. And every single person whom he has justified through faith in Jesus will one day be glorified. And that truth keeps us growing and keeps us steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. We cling to the hope of Christ. We cling to the hope of the gospel And that is what keeps us on the road of staying close to the Lord and persevering until the end. God, we thank you for your work of grace. Salvation is completely a work of your sovereign grace. And we are so humbled by that. We can remember a time in our lives when we saw Jesus as the answer to our sin problem and we believed in him and you began this new work in us and yet now through scripture what we see is even long before we trusted in Christ ourselves you were doing a work a work that would be successful a work that would one day finish in glorification that we will one day be like Jesus when we see him, when we see him just as he is. So Lord, give us encouragement 
where we need it in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would keep us persevering and growing in you where we've become lazy, Lord. Just light a fire under us and get us moving in the direction of progress and holiness where we've become discouraged and just ready to throw our hands up in the air because we don't see the kind of growth that we want to see. Lord, help us to reflect on what you have done so far and that, would con- that it would continue and that that would encourage us to cling to Christ and cling to the hope of the gospel. God, we thank you for saving our souls through Christ. And Father, you know each of our hearts. And Lord, if there's any man, woman, or child here today who does not yet know you, has not yet been brought into that relationship, being reconciled to you through faith in Christ, would you, in your own beautiful way, use your gospel that the Spirit of God would woo them to yourself, that they might see how much you love them and want to reconcile them to yourself. Do this mighty work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.